You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Morning, everybody. Happy to be with you this morning. Um, if you don't know, my name is Chris Gervin. I'm seeking, we're seeking by the Lord's good hand to plant a church in Red Deer, uh, Redemption Red Deer. And um, just happy to be with you guys this morning. Every time I get to come and gather, it's a, it's a blessing for me. Um, and happy uh, and praying for John and Beth and their family that they would have a, a good time, a good break. Uh, from all that's going on. Just to kind of lead you where we're going this morning, how we, how we're, how we got there. At our church plant in Red Deer, we've been talking about uh, what kind of culture we want to see developed, right? We're just getting going. We're just starting. We talked about having a sense of urgency because our time is limited. Uh, talked about, hold on, it might be because this thing's in my back pocket. I don't know. This comes out. Okay. Sorry. It's, it's my fault. If there's anything wrong with the sound, it's like I didn't turn it on properly or something like that. Um, so, yeah, as we were thinking about what type of church we want to become, talking about culture and talking about obviously we want to be Christ-centered. Uh, I want to have like a, a, a culture, a community orientated. Uh, and then, of course, uh, last Sunday being um, Valentine's Day, I was like, for sure we want to be a church that's loving. And I talked about it last Sunday. But as I was kind of like, it was not just because it's Valentine's Day. Uh, it's actually because we're to be marked by love as Christians. That's one of, to be one of the main markers of a believer. And so I started out thinking, of like maybe 1 Corinthians 13. Had Arnold read that this morning. So as I would read 1 Corinthians 13. And I would, I would pray through that. It would actually, then I would jump to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, Paul's prayer there, and start praying that uh, for my own heart, for our own church. And uh, even as I, was, as I was praying that, and, you know, wanting a church whose heart is love, I think we all desire that. I don't know about you, but this past year has been pretty tough. We've almost been at a year at it. And even as I, as I look at other scriptures, I'm thinking like Matthew 24, 12, it's talking about the end of days, and it says, in that time when lawlessness increases, the love of most will grow cold. Not saying we're right there, but I do think we're moving quickly in that direction. As we saw at the beginning of this all, as people, Christians, non-Christians, maybe like shoving people all the way like that, toilet paper's mine. You know, like we're like, we're doing whatever we can to protect ours. And that was just like in a moment. So we can see how we can move in that direction. So as I'm praying and looking at Ephesians 3, I was thinking about my own heart. In the past year, have I become more loving? Am I more marked by love? Just think about that question for yourself. With everything that has happened, have you grown uh, in your love? Would that be something that has been increasing in your life? As I'm thinking through that question myself, I actually hesitate to answer and my hesitation kind of answers that for myself. I think 
as things have happened, at times, I've actually grown more bitter. As things have been shut down, as things have been lost, as freedoms have been taken away, love has not been the first thing that's marked me. And so, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul's prayer uh, that believers would be filled with the love of Christ. And I pray as we, as we go through it, we would see clearly what is the love of God through Jesus Christ. But not only we're going through a prayer that God would give us faith to pray this, and the Holy Spirit would apply that to our hearts, ever increasing. I'm just going to pray before we uh, open up God's word together. If you'll bow with me again. Holy Father, we, we love you. What a joy it was to sing praise uh, to your name, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you again for the freedom we have to do that. And now, as we get an opportunity to open up your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak through me. You'd speak to each one of us. Uh, again, lift up Jesus Christ, that we would see his love, and that you would increase it in our hearts. That whether we have been marked, that we would be marked by your love. Love for one another and love for you. God, you must do that in our lives. So I pray as your word is proclaimed, uh, you would do that work in us. Yeah, this is your time, Lord. Continue to glorify your name in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, uh, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And just quick, quick kind of background for you. I don't know how, how familiar you are with the book of Ephesians. It's kind of broken into two parts. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all the indicatives, like true statements. Like you have been chosen in God. You've been loved by God. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ through his blood. And as you go through the first three chapters, it's just like this is true of you if you're in Christ. And then the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, if that's true of you, there's all these imperatives, these commands. Now live this way. It never starts, hey, live this way. It always starts, this is who you are in Christ, like Paul, and then now live it out. But in the middle, between those two chapters, is this prayer. And it's kind of the hinge between, between the truths of who you are in Christ and between how you are to live and walk in what God has done in you, this prayer, that we become more loving. I'm going to read it with you now, and we'll unpack it. The Lord bless it. Ephesians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God bless his word to us this morning. So as, we're, as we go back to, this, to the beginning of this prayer, I want us to see verses 14 to 15 that it's, uh, 
the posture that we have in prayer, ultimately it's our heart position that matters the most. Paul begins this prayer for this reason, and he's referring actually back to the first two chapters, because even the start of chapter three, he says again, for this reason. And so he's talking about everything that I've just said, like that's why I'm gonna pray. That you've been, if you've been predestined for adoption, if you have redemption through Jesus, through his blood, if you have an inheritance in him, if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and even at the, in chapters uh, 3, verse 11 and 12, Paul writes, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It's for, for that reason I'm going on my knees before the Father in prayer. He goes on his knees before the Father, and just a question, does, does the body position matter in which you pray? You can pray sitting down. You can pray standing up. You can pray laying flat, flat on your face, right? You can, you can play, pray leaning against the wall. You can pray on your knees. I think there are certain body positions that won't, uh, like, push us towards prayer. Like, I don't know how you like to veg out and watch, you know, your favorite show or whatever. Maybe lying on a couch, bag of chips. Maybe that's not the position that you want to approach the Father in. But body position, it, it matters and it doesn't matter. I think what's more important is your heart position, actually. Your heart position before the Lord. Think about the beginning of the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Looking up, he is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. His name is holy. And so just having that heart position, and I think a, a good example of this uh, that not only having the right heart position, that we would have like a humble heart before the Lord as we go before him in prayer, it, we'd find in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. I can just read that for you. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He says this, or Luke writes this at first. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. As I read this, I want you to notice one their body position, and then two, their heart position. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing, so he's standing, right? Standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like what a guy, as he's praying, he's pointing out other people. He says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Again, he's standing too. They're both standing. But he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the humble heart position of the tax collector. They're both standing but it was his heart that was right before the Lord, bowed down, looking up. So Paul has his right position. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, a number of commentators differ. Is Paul talking about the family of God? Or is he talking about everyone who God has created? And I don't think it changes the prayer, how we understand it. But Paul went to the Father uh, to get what he needed that no one else could provide. I want us to, to see that. But just think for ourselves, do we always go to God 
with our challenges and needs? Or sometimes do we go somewhere else first? Do we turn to other things instead at hard times? Sometimes we can look to food to comfort. Like we're going through a trial. Like we, that's why it's called comfort food, right? If we can just eat something or we can turn to social media. I don't know if you've ever, like, man, you had a hard day or a hard week and you're just like, I just want to scroll. I just want to, like, look at stuff. So, and you just kind of turn, turn our mind off. We can even turn to family members, our kids or our wife or spouse or other people. And, and in the past, we used to actually turn to circumstances. What I mean is that you're like, man, this is a really tough time, but I know I have a holiday coming. And so, like, what, whatever, like, that's coming. And that's where we would turn. Uh, but Paul goes to the Father for something that only he can provide. And all those things I listed are, they can be okay, but ultimately, they can't meet our needs in the way that we're asking them to, right? Only the Father can meet our needs. So I just want you to see in that first section, Paul goes to the Father has the right posture in prayer. And it's his heart position. It's our heart position that matters before the Father. Now in the next section, verses 16 to 17, I want you to see the power uh, that we have through prayer. And particularly, so verse 16, I want us to see the source of this power. So Paul prays, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God's ability to answer this prayer never runs out. I just want you to see that because it's according to the riches of his glory. Commentator F.F. Bruce writes this, The glory of God may be viewed as a sum total of all his attributes. Because God himself is infinite and eternal, his glory is inexhaustible and provides the measure of his generosity when he bestows his gifts. Because his resources are inexhaustible, he cannot be impoverished by sharing them with his children. And humanly speaking, right, it's hard to understand things without limit. Even if you have like a lifetime guarantee on something. Maybe it breaks, you go to the company, maybe the company went bankrupt. (laughs) or, Or maybe it lasts, but you die. Or even just think, If you went to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, and I don't recommend this, I don't think anyone could do that, but you're like, I have this today, I'm really hungry, and you're like, you just keep eating and eating, ultimately no one wins, but you don't win, right? You go to all-you-can-eat restaurant, and they're like, actually, we ran out of food. (laughs) Like, it's all-you-can-eat. They have a limited amount of resources, right? Even though it says that. But if you think, God, according to the riches of his glory, unlimited amount. And if we think about our salvation that we have in Christ, right? Like that's not exhausted. If you just turn to uh, Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, think about how we are saved. It says this of Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Like no one would ever say, like as you go to Jesus for salvation, like it's limited. No, we're forgiven. And so from those same riches of grace that Paul goes to in this prayer. And and the Lord will always be able to answer. D.A. Carson says this. To depreciate the supplies, to depreciate Jesus, to doubt the provision God has made for us, is to doubt the provision God has secured in his son. 
It is far wiser to understand and believe that the God who has already so lavishly blessed us in his son Jesus has no less lavish reserves of power to pour out on us as he brings us to Christian maturity. He, Paul, is persuaded that the supply is as extensive as the benefits secured by Jesus Christ at Golgotha. The reason why I'm just hammering this point down is what Paul prays next. You're just like, wow, that's incredible. It's from the riches of God's glory that he's praying. That he's asking God to answer this. He asks that, that God, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I just want you to know this, friends. He prays to the Father that the spirit would do this work in us. And as we'll see, that Christ is, would dwell in our hearts. It's the triune God at work within us. He's the one who must do it. We, we can't do it on ourselves. God is the one who has to do it. It's totally a work of God. And it happens in our inner being. Reminds me of scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says this, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. As the Spirit is at work in our lives. Continue to renew us. Continue to strengthen us. And I also, I just want you to see, I'll highlight more later, it doesn't matter outwardly what's happening. The outward circumstances don't affect the answer to this prayer. Because praying to the Father that the Spirit would do the work in us, and we'll see that Christ's love would dwell in our hearts. So the source of this prayer, the source of this power, is God. The riches of his glory. In verse 17, I want you to see, as Paul prays, in a sense, it's, it's like the this, this seed, Christ. He says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ, right? Like Jesus Christ, born of a virgin Mary, lived a perfect life. Healed the sick, cast out demons, and then died on the cross for our sins, for our brokenness, for our shame was buried and rose again, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now if anyone here or anyone listening is not a believer, that's the, the prayer that we want to pray. That Christ, you would dwell in my heart through faith. Lord Jesus, you would have every part of me. That in a sense, you're surrendering. As, as Josh talked about that Hebrew word, Christ dwell in my heart like your hands up to God. Jesus, have your way in me. If you're listening and you're not yet a believer, I pray that you would, you would ask Jesus to reign in your heart. You would turn from your sin and trust in him. But Paul here, he's, actually, he's writing to Christians. Interest, like what is he saying there? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell means to, to be at home, like to be comfortable. MacArthur says this, Paul's teaching here does not relate to the fact of Jesus' presence in the hearts of believers, but to the quality of his presence. Asking that Christ would dwell there, because many other things can dwell in our hearts, right? We can have pride dwell in our hearts, whether it's for the job that we have or are doing, 
or the house or the toys, whatever it is that we're like, actually, like, this is something that dominates my thoughts and my heart. I said before, we'd have bitterness dwell in our hearts or unforgiveness against the government, against someone who's wronged us. We could actually be consumed with anger and have that dwelling in our hearts. We could be, have lust dwell in our hearts, looking at things we're not supposed to. Or even that old word, coveting, right? Like just desiring, if I only had that thing, that could dwell in our hearts, that could dominate us. We could have idols. Again, and I would say it doesn't have to be, but what's the first thing we turn to when times are hard, when times are tough? Is it God? Is it something else? We have many things dwell in our hearts, but we want to have Christ dwell in our hearts. Colossians uh, 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's ongoing. It's not just like one moment. We want to have Christ's peace rule in our hearts. James Montgomery Boyce says this, it is true that all who are truly Christian are indwelt by Jesus Christ. But it is also true that this is something they grow into as Christ takes stronger and fuller possession of every corner of their lives. It's through faith that this happens, right? It's like all we bring to the table is our sin and our brokenness. And we just we accept what Jesus has done for us. We believe, we trust that he is sufficient. And we receive. And it's, Paul says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What, what type of love is Paul talking about there? Not, it's not a Valentine's Day love. It's not like a one-time, uh, once-a-year type love. It's 365 days a year or 366 and a leap year. It's all the time love. And, and ultimately that love, you think it's the spirit who does it. Galatians 5.22, it's a fruit of the Spirit type love. I think Paul would even define it, Ephesians 2.4, he writes this, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Or Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who whom he has given to us. It's not of us. It's totally from God, and he pours his love into our hearts. It's amazing. And Paul says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. He kind of used two different analogies. That you would be rooted, that you'd be planted. Reminds me of like Psalm 1. That the man or woman of God who would meditate upon God's law day and night would be like a tree planted by streams of water, right? That'd be, that we'd be planted. And also that we would, he says, grounded. And there he's talking about like laying the foundation. I think he'd be referring back to early Ephesians 2, uh, 19 and 20. Paul says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that we'd be rooted in Christ, that we'd be grounded in him, that we'd build our life on his love. But that that has happened to us in salvation. And we want to build on that. So I want you to see, as I talked about the source, 
being the riches of God's glory, the seed being the love of Christ. You look at verse 18, that which grows from it. I just said a tree, anything that just keeps growing and growing, as you'll see, as God's love overtakes us. Paul prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And just ask ask yourself, why do you have to have strength to, to grasp God's love, to comprehend it. Has anyone ever looked at the sun without sunglasses? Or just me? <laughs> you know, like you just look even just for a little too long, you get that like the sun is everywhere you look now. Just me, okay, apparently. Shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that, right? It's so powerful. You can't look at it. We need sunglasses to view the sun because it's such a powerful thing. God's love in Christ Jesus is far more powerful than that. It's so much more amazing. And so we actually need the Holy Spirit in us to comprehend the love of Christ. We cannot do it on our own. That you may have strength to comprehend. It says, with all the saints. This is for every believer. Paul's prayer. This isn't for like, hey, once you grow up in your faith, once you get to a certain part, know that all the saints, however long you've been in Christ, say a month to 20, to 40 years, whatever, that we would know the love of Christ. And I love, he says, to all the saints. We all know, we would all confess ourselves, we're we're sinners. We're broken. But through trusting in Jesus Christ, we receive his perfect life. We receive his righteousness. And so when the Father looks down at us, he doesn't say, you sinner, He says, you saint. He's not lying. So I want to encourage you with that today. Through Jesus Christ, the Father sees us as saints. And Paul says that with all the saints that we would comprehend, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And there's commentators go in so many different directions with what Paul is saying here. I think ultimately he's giving us categories we can all understand different categories, the ways that we define things, right? Like if someone's, I'm like, how far is that home? It's like, well, it's like five kilometers from here. Some, some people, uh, you, you speak in miles. And I'm like, how, like, how many miles? I'm like, pull up my phone, unfortunately. Confession time. Or, or like my youngest, my youngest is almost four. He's like almost 50 pounds. I think, it's like, how, what are we feeding this kid? But we understand the, that category, right? Or like so-and-so, okay, she's like 5'7". We, we understand when we put it into measurements. I think Paul also, he might have in mind what Job, what's in the book of Job. I'm just going to read it for you. Job chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. It says this, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth, broader than the sea. Think about how do you measure the unmeasurable? Psalm 36.5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. How, do you me- how far is the heavens? 
Something that never ceases. Like, how, how wide is that? How do you measure the love of Christ? In John 15, 13, Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's, there's no greater love than that. And that's what Jesus did, right? And not only for his friends, as we read in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, Paul writes this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We get that, right? Like maybe for someone who's really good, maybe we would sacrifice our life for that person. But look, look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? While we were still sinners. And so as we think, even as we move into the Easter, Easter time, we're like, where would we be? We wouldn't be one of the apostles. We would be one in the crowd yelling, crucify him. We would be one spitting and saying, yes, take out this man. And he died for us while we were still sinners. What a great, amazing love found in Jesus Christ. How do you describe it? How do you measure it? I thought it was helpful what I read here from James Montgomery Boyce. He said in the last century, it's actually about two centuries ago now, when Napoleon's armies opened a prison that had been used by the Spanish Inquisition, they found the remains of a prisoner who had been incarcerated for his faith. The dungeon was underground. The body had long since decayed. Only a chain fashioned around an ankle bone cried out his confinement. But this prisoner, long since dead, had left a witness. On the wall of his small, dismal cell, this faithful soldier of Christ had scratched a rough cross with four words surrounding it in Spanish. Above the cross was the Spanish word for height. Below it was the word for depth. To the left, the word width. To the right, length. Clearly, this prisoner wanted to testify the surpassing greatness of the love of Christ perceived even in his suffering. Just one other way to try to think through it, that old hymn, the love of God is greater still, the last stanza. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole of stretch from sky to sky. Now I think everyone gets that if we don't, if there's anyone like, what is it? Because we don't talk about quills or parchment. It's like if the whole sky was, was paper and every blade of grass, think in the summertime, was a pen and, and the ocean was ink and every person from the youngest to the oldest had the ability to write and we all were writing about, the, about God's love, oceans dry, Everyone's hands cramping up. We haven't even scratched the surface. It's full. And we haven't even started to begin to talk about the love of God and Jesus Christ. So you see God's love growing. Look at verse uh, at 19. Paul continues this awesome prayer. And he prays, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love that, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like, how, what, what does that mean? 
I think this is Paul's ministry in Ephesians 3.8. He says this, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. His job is to present the unsearchable riches of Christ, that we would know the unknowable. It's not, it's not that you can't know it. You can know this love, but you cannot exhaust it. You cannot know its limits. Think about from the youngest person who believes in Jesus. They know God's love. To however long you've been in faith, you know God's love. Yet as you grow in maturity, you just know the depth ever increasing of God's love. And you never touch the bottom. You never touch the top, the side. I, I want you to hear, friends, in Christ, God loves you. Through Jesus Christ, God loves you. Last week was, was Valentine's Day. I don't know what, what it's like in schools these days. I remember when I was a young kid growing up, we like, you know, you'd make, scribble these little Valentines and you'd pass them out to people. And then maybe after, maybe like the, the people maybe you didn't like as much, you like maybe push those to the side. I wasn't a Christian then. <laughs> Uh, and and the, the ones that you did get, you're like, hey, you have nice shoes. You're like, oh, right on. You have a, a nice backpack. Everything was nice. But you like, maybe you reread those things, right? You're like, oh, man, that was really special. I don't know what happened, what you did last week for your loved one, where you went on a meal, you wrote a card, you, you know, try to show your love. Ultimately, if it's only that day, we're like, we're, we're losing. <laughs> it has to be a lot more than that. Uh, but it, it pales in comparison to the love of Christ. Like it's, it's nowhere close how much God loves you. And we see that in Jesus Christ. Think about the cross. How he poured out his blood for us. And that God would make sure we would never forget he wrote a book. That we continue to read and know what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We continue to be reminded. Yes, it's true. We've been forgiven. We've been set, set free. We have an inheritance, a place in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. How amazing. Whatever you know of Christ's love, there's always more. Whatever you have, have experienced of Christ's love, there's always more. Whatever you can articulate of Christ's love, if you could use every word and every language available on earth to speak of the love of God, it wouldn't be sufficient. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then in, in the next part of verse 19, I just want you to see, as I said, the, the seed is the love of Christ and we see it growing. In the second part of 19, I want you to see the fruit that grows in our lives. Just think if anyone looking outside right now, it's not fruit-bearing season, right? In the dead of winter, nothing grows. But spiritually, it's fruit-bearing season. It always is in good times and bad. While we're going through this hard trial, God's love can grow in us. Always. And Paul prays to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You read that, you're like, what are you, wow, what are you saying, Paul? It seems a little too bold. But if you think about it, if Christ is dwelling in us, and it says of Christ, 
Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and Jesus is reigning in us, and his love is growing in us. He may be filled with all the fullness of God. I really appreciate what James Montgomery Boyce says about this passage. He says this, We are filled with all God's fullness, an infinite thing. But then we have all eternity, an infinite time to be so filled. I think Paul's praying that we would be filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and so on forever as God, out of his infinite resources, increasingly pours himself out into those sinful but now redeemed creatures he has rescued through the work of Christ. Amen. How hopeful we can be. Remember, this is a supernatural work that God does in us. We're to be marked by the love of Christ, marked by love for one another. That God would transform our hearts by Christ. This is, this is not a passive knowledge, right? That, that we would know more of Christ's love. It's not a passive knowledge. Like, like we know McDonald's is bad for us, but I eat Big Macs. I, I do. <laughs> Right? And so it's not like something you know but you don't act on. Like to know the love of Christ just like actually grips you and grabs hold of you. Kind of leads you to like Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That type of love leads us to that place of surrender. Like willingly. Nothing held back. Lord, have my life. Reign supreme. I love changes us. I don't know about you, but as I, as I even I read through, as I pray this prayer, I'm like, really? Like, Paul, it's almost, it's almost too amazing. It's almost too bold what you're praying. And I, I think he actually answers us in his prayer. <laughs> verse, verse 20. We'll see that he moves to praise. But first, I think he answers, like, as he's so bold in praying, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I love, now him who is able to do far more abundantly. He could have said far more. He could have said abundantly more, but far more abundantly. Just, just to get it. According to the power at work within us. Now, I, I wonder, I think some people can take this verse and say, it's like a blank check, just pray whatever. Like Lotto Max, their, their kind of tag right now is dare to dream. I don't know if you've seen the commercials, people dream, you got more money, dream bigger. You can pray, pray bigger. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think in the context, think about this, now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, according to the power of the Spirit, verse 16, strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, that God can make us loving. Actually loving. Actually marked by love. Actually, our first response is to lay our lives down for other people. Actually, our first response is kindness. He can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think or imagine. He actually could answer this prayer and make us loving. Amen? This is a bold prayer by Paul. 
Can God answer it? Will he answer it? Yes, it's, it's according to his will. What would it look like if we prayed this and saw God continue to answer it? Just think, as I said before, as, I, as I've seen kind of bitterness growing in my heart, I don't know where you're at. Have you seen your love growing cold or fear or anger? How do we rid ourselves of that in our heart? I don't know if you've ever seen or asked kind of like, I don't know if it's a riddle or what, if you have a two-liter bottle that's empty and you put a, just the, a cap of a pen lid in it and you're like, how do you get it out? But you can't turn it, you can't move it. Well, you just you fill it with water. And as the water fills up, the pen lid, you know, pops out. I think that's what it's like as God fills us more and more with his love, with Christ's love. That bitterness actually turns to kindness. It's gone. The anger's taken away, gentleness. The fear turns to faith as Christ's love continues to grow in us. Imagine that we keep praying this prayer that God would do that in us, in our churches. Imagine you keep praying this, what it would do for your marriage. Be filled more and more with the love of Christ, and to your marriage you bring forgiveness and mercy and sacrificial love. Instead of fighting with your spouse, you're like you're fighting for your marriage by praying that they would also be filled with the love of Christ. Think about if, as God would fill us more and more with this love. Friends, there's this great divide happening in the church, mass, no mass. As we're filled more and more with the love of Jesus Christ, we're like, we're actually looking up past that. That's not going to tear us apart. We may have disagreements on that. That's okay. Let Jesus Christ fill our hearts with his love. We're, we're to be marked like Jesus said, hey, that he would know who the disciples are by their love for one another. Oh, I pray that God would do this in us, growing in us our knowledge of his love towards me, towards you, towards the church, towards sinners who need a savior. How do you get there? You pray. Right? This church, like the other Great Commission collective churches, we believe in fervent prayer. You pray. When you see these other things in our life, whether it's bitterness or anger or lust, whatever, you confess it. Lord, it's there. Forgive me. Lord, fill me with your love. We get into the word of God. Lord, continue to transform my mind and my heart. Put this word in my heart. We pray. The rest of the book of Ephesians gives clarity on how to live it out. Like Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragment offering and sacrifice to God. But ultimately, for this message, it's not doing. It's praying. It's knowing. It's being in the love of Christ. And if you'll see, if God would be so willing to answer that prayer in us, it turns to praise. We got verse 21. I'll read 20 and 21 together. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. Just think of the mission statement of this church, of the one we want to see planted in Red Deer. We want to see lost people saved. And as God would fill us more with the love of Christ, we'd have more of a love for those who don't know Jesus. We want to make our, our faith known. Then we want to see saved people matured. Man, if we're filled more and more with the love of Christ increasing, we're maturing, we're growing in our faith. We want to see the mature multiply. We want to see, again, more churches, more people lifting up their hands, singing praise to the, to the God of the universe. And for what? That he would get all the glory. To God be the glory in the church. And I love it. It says, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's for eternity. Because we'll never exhaust God's love. We'll never exhaust the reasons to praise him. And he will receive all the glory. Think about if God, as God answers that prayer for us individually and in our churches. And we're actually marked by love. People are like, wow, this is such a hard season. And you're, you're actually coming out of it more loving. All you can, yeah, God's, God's done it in my life. Like it's, it's actually a miracle. If we come out of this time more loving, and he gets all the glory and all the praise. So friends, I want you to see here in Paul's prayer, our posture, it's about our heart position, the power, the source is, is according to the riches of his glory. The seed is Christ's love, and as it grows in us, he bears that fruit in our lives, in our churches, and we just want to turn and praise him. So I, I would encourage you to pray this passage. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your church. Oh, that God would answer this in our lives, and he would receive more glory. I'm just going to close this time, this message in prayer.